Happy Father's Day to our Father in Heaven. Happy Father's Day, man. I'm going to be uh, preaching a two-part series uh, about men because I just preached it about girls and the guys were like, what about us? Actually, no guy said that. But I'm going to preach it anyways. Uh, it's called, um, I thought it fitting to call it Fail Army. Have you ever watched a Fail Army video? Come on, help me. You got to help me feedback a little. A Fail Army video where guys, guys like ride motorcycles into stuff and that's basically it. That's basically it. I thought it a fitting title. And so I sent it out to the team leads. And then Tammy, who, Tammy's kind of a newer team lead on our kids team, everybody. And Tammy Lockhart, she's doing great. I don't know if she's here or working with kids, but uh, ever since, I noticed ever since she came on the team lead Slack channel, we have a Slack channel that's for like different church groups and stuff, that the sarcasm level has gone through the roof. God bless Tammy. So she had some things to say about men and fail army, and she thought that it was fitting as well. Um, there's a question that I have. I'm going to be preaching about David's mighty men today. There was a group of about 30 guys that were like the, the they were the, the fighters that ended up organizing an army for David of like over a million people one day. And um, I'm going to be preaching about David's mighty men and kind of a guy-related sermon. So you're just going to have to, girls, If I, I guarantee you, that if the men and the sons of God in your life get this sermon into their hearts, I guarantee you that your life will get better. So just amen me a lot. Um, there's something about the sons and daughters of God. I think today is not going to be a sermon that's uh, soft and fuzzy. You know, um, did anybody watch Lord of the Rings for the first time, like, you know, years ago when that came out? My wife and my sister-in-law were into the books, but when the movies came out, it's funny that when it was put to flesh, they were like, oh my goodness, the orcs are ugly. Oh my goodness, there's a lot of chopping going on in the war scenes. And then they were like, what about the character development? And today's sermon is less about character development and more about, we chop up orcs because that's what we do. Come on, men, say amen. Orcs are meant to be chopped up. There's an enemy coming against society and coming against you that if we're soft with it, the people behind us that we're supposed to be protecting and loving and caring for, those people aren't going to get what they need from God and we are the instruments that God wants to use to help them fight their battles. Come on, Venue Church, say amen. Thank you, Sean. I was thinking about that though. What got those 30 guys and, and a few more, what got them noticed by a king? There's something inside of the heart of every man. If you don't know this about the men in your life, there's something in the heart of every man that longs for significance. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden when God says, you know, from dust to dust. Do you remember that? You came from the dust. You're going to go back down to the dust. There's something in every man, I think, in every boy in our heart that we just want to rise up from the dust just a couple of inches. Just something that would cause us to get noticed by our Father in Heaven. To do something that would matter in the world. And... Um, what causes us to get noticed by our Father in Heaven? We can do all the things to get noticed for all the bad things. I know some of you. Uh, we, um, we lived in Pasadena, California when I was a kid. And uh, we were in the middle of like a seven-year drought. So it hadn't really rained for seven years. And so the whole uh, city was on like high fire alert, uh, L.A. And, um, and one day I found a, a pile of dry leaves right like up against the side of my house. 
dry leaves, and then I found a can of uh, gas. And so, you know, maybe you don't know this, girls, you might not know this, but if you put a gasoline on p dry leaves and throw a match on it, as I'm throwing the match, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or just my own brain finally turning on and being like, what are you doing? And I got that fire out so quick. It was supernatural how fast I got that fire out. And then I did what boys do and I buried it. And then I also did what boys did and I completely forgot about it. So two weeks later when my dad comes uh, back, uh, he's like in the backyard and he's like, hey son, come here. I wasn't afraid because I had forgotten. So I walk over and he's like, son, come here. I need to show you something. And then we walk around the corner and then that's when I remembered. And he like, he's like, you see, I see you've been playing with matches again. First time offender. Would you believe? First time I've been? It was the last time, everybody. It was definitely the last time. There's something um, in us that wants to get noticed, I think. Um, now, this sermon is... Um, there's all sorts of different men out there, so I'm not going to like totally generalize everything, but there's something as a son of God that God wants you to do that's different, and that, and that he has called you and anointed you and gifted you to be able to do. Now, there are some men that are, are more like red and hairy and into hunting, like Esau. There's a couple guys sitting here right now. I'm not going to point that. that. That they got noticed because they were red and hairy and good at hunting, you know. But then there was like more the Jacob type. Red. Oh, I totally forgot you're a redhead. That totally worked out. Go to John Pecka's small group. He's great. But there's, there's something about Jacob that was kind of more behind the scenes, a little more sensitive. It says he liked... He liked he was an inside house sort of a guy. So people invite me to camping and I'm like, is it outside? Because I'm not like a pioneer. Like we build houses, we could live in them, you know. And so, like how's the TV reception out there? Not good. And so there's some more sensitive guys who, who lived inside. But then there's also this thing where, where Jacob and Esau, you should just read that story, where, where Jacob's mom, Rebecca, tried to make Jacob, tried to give him a plan to get him the blessing and, and tried to make him a better man, so to speak. And can I just say this, ladies? This will just save you a lot of time, a lot of wasted time. Listen, you ready? You ready? It takes a better man to make a better man. So if you would take the energy, because listen, listen, it's just, it's just one of those things. Unless you want us to lecture you about childbirth. Not cool, right? Well, it's the same sort of thing. You know what? Expend your energy getting your, if you got boys, get them into venue kids and into venue you. Get them around godly young men who love Jesus because... They'll make better men out of them. Can I, can I just say that? And so it's this thing going on in society. It was like, you've got to make them a better man. You can't make somebody something that you're not. You know what I mean? So just help them get around. I just thought I would throw that out there and make everybody mad. Now listen, I think a boy's greatest weakness growing up, most of the time, is not thinking. It's just not thinking stuff through. I remember my dad, I don't know how many times, saying, Corey, think. Think. What did you think was going to happen with dry leaves, gas, and a match? I wasn't thinking. I remember saying, like, but dad, I didn't think, as, as I made a mistake, but dad, I didn't think. And he'd be like, you didn't think. But dad, I didn't think it. You didn't think. I'm like, well. But here's what I think you could bring to the table when God gets a hold of you, man. You ready? I think this is what my dad finally taught me. He finally got it through this thick skull. He taught me to not overthink. 
He taught me to stop overthinking. What do you mean, overthinking? Can you think too much? Yeah, yeah. He taught me that when mom told you to do the dishes, stop thinking and start doing. My dad taught me there's so much in society now that's like, hey, find your truth, and it's like a never-ending search. No, no, no. When you find Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Stop looking. Like, when you find the truth, stop looking. When you find real money, stop using monopoly money. Like, when you find the principle of the matter, just live it out. Just execute it. When you find gravity, stop thinking about it. Unless you have a pair of wings, stay on the ground. You're not going to be the exception to the principle. My dad was a man who taught principles. And my dad taught me to not overthink. And I think, sons of God, if we would stop overthinking and start executing, I think that we could show the world around us what the truth looks like. Um, I need to honor my dad today. Now, can I say this? You may not have had a great dad, but I do want to say this, that you have a great father in heaven. And so I'm sorry if your dad, just on behalf of, I think dads, I'm sorry if your dad ignored you or was absent or was cruel. None of those things reflect God's heart towards you at all. Um, I don't mean to get angry at him. That's not going to help you. Uh, you need to forgive and let that go. Um, and God will give you the power to forgive. You have to do it first. It's not something to overthink. Well, I can't possibly forgive. God's like, forgive. Because unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping your dad dies. You just got to forgive. You just got to let it go. But here's what I want to say. God is your father, and God will fill in all the gaps that your dad left and that your dad was supposed to do. And, um, and also, I would like to honor my father as well. And I would like, if I could do this venue, church, do you know my dad, Pastor Richard? He's retired now, but he's... I'll lend you my dad. I'll lend you my dad. Like, you just, you need that father figure in your life. I've had enough time with him. I'm good. I know who I am. I know who God is. But my dad, I want to say this, everything that we do as a church moving forward, my dad built. And so, um, my dad built this stage. I mean, heck, he was part of the team that built this stage. He painted this stage. And then I come back and be like, what are you doing? I'm painting it again. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm painting it again. Like, he's a painting machine in here. But I stand on his stage. This whole church is built on his ministry. And uh, as he taught us what God was like, can I say, I wish that the government during COVID had better dads. Because they all went crazy. You know what good dads do? And I still need a, my, this is what my dad did at the beginning of COVID. Can I just be honest? He said to me, uh, one sentence, he said, son, how old would I have to be and what would I have to do for this country to decide if I wanted to get sick and die? I'm like, uh-oh. He goes, you're going to put cameras in my house and outside of my house and make sure that I wear a jacket outside in the winter? And I said, the only possible uh, answer to that was no, sir. And then he said, we've talked about it, and it's worth the risk to us to have our grandkids over. Because if they don't come over, your mom's going to die. And before she dies, she's going to kill you. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. The only possible answer there. He settled me down. Why? Because my dad made his peace with God. My dad knew who his father in heaven was. He taught me who my father in heaven was. He just settled me down. That's why Venue Church is in a great and stable place right now, not dying like so many. Because he just like... Come on, calm down, calm down. There's something that, that he's like, hey, we landed on the truth. We found God. Stop being afraid about everything. You know, like at least lead with confidence. And Now, can I say this? As I'm preaching about women, that, those sermons always make me super nervous. But I can talk to guys. Can I talk 
Can I talk to guys? Let me challenge you guys. We're supposed to be protecting. We're supposed to be like the doors of our, if you have a home and a family or your people or your small group or your community, we're supposed to be the door. We're supposed to keep the devil out. And uh, there's too much going on in society now that's like, hey, you know, be sensitive to all the things and soft and all that. I'm like, no, we're soft to those on the inside, but we're supposed to be hard to the devil out there. You're not supposed to make a deal and talk with the devil. Don't talk with the snake. The, the reason that Eve got into all that trouble was because there was a snake in the garden and Adam is watching this go on. You know, be sensitive with a snake. You're supposed to get the snake out of the garden. You know, I mean, there's this thing of like, we're hard out there. We're not, I think there's too much, too much softness on the, uh, out there going on. And we're supposed to be protecting and loving and nurturing. Not the nurturing the way that, that girls are kind of better at doing than us, but I mean, like, we make a place where that happens. Like, we'll, we'll take it in the teeth from the devil so that you don't have to. That's our job. Come on, ladies, say amen. I just handed that to you on a platter. Now, listen, I think that the enemy would love to take the girls out of the fight and the fight out of the boys. I think if he can get the fight out of the boys, I think he's got us. Ninety-one percent of the time, if a man gets saved and comes to Christ and comes to church, ninety-one percent of the time, I think that is still an accurate number, his whole family comes in. Ninety-one percent of the time. If the devil can get the fight out of the boys, he's got the family. Like, it's so much harder for everybody else in there. And um, there's just something about that. Now, now, sons of God, we need to look like our Father in heaven. We have got to stop taking our cues from society right now. We need to look like our Father in heaven. And the Lord in heaven. Are you ready? The Lord is not a rainbow puking, unicorn riding, cat petting, kombucha sipping, sissy. I said it. I took a shot at cats and kombucha there. <laughs> Mostly because I'm allergic to cats, but... If you have a cat and can look into their eyes, you know they're trying to steal your soul. There's something demonic about cats, so anyways, I'm just going to leave that there. And as for kombucha, have you ever tried kombucha? My wife loves kombucha. It tastes like witchcraft. <laughs> it's made out of, like, fermented mushrooms or something. Somebody thought of that! And then fed it to humans. Feed it to cats. That's my shot. You want to know what our Father in heaven is like? Exodus, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. You got something coming at your teenage son? You just going to sit there and watch it? Or are you going to go at it? Yeah, dash that thing in pieces. Uh, Isaiah, the Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. God wants his sons like, stir up your own zeal. Are you waiting for somebody else to do it for you? Get, play some rage against a machine in your ears. Do something. Like, get into the fight. Um, therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire. 
Man, sons of God, you're supposed to be a consuming fire. There's something about you that's supposed to be on fire. None of this halfway stuff where we're like waiting for somebody to do something before we're allowed to do something. You know what I mean? Like get out there and create some justice where there's injustice. Like live your life and get out there and fight the enemy. I, I, can I preach the men a little bit? Like I'm getting a little tired of seeing guys nowadays taking three days off a week because we're under emotional distress because we got a flat tire three months ago. Like, oh, I just can't. I'm so tired. You don't understand. I do understand. It's a flat tire. Rub some dirt on it, fix it, and get back in the fight. Or like you had a fight with your wife over the peanut butter, and you just can't. You can't go to work because you had a fight with somebody? We fight about the peanut butter. I get it. I still have a church to lead. I still have a mission. I still have kids that need Jesus. You know, I, I still got all the things I got to do. Um... Or us spending all of our time on our toys. Now, I don't want Cope girls marrying men who care about their golf clubs more than they care about them. Or what kind of car they're driving. Well, now, I want you to care about them. I want you to protect that family. I want you to... You want to get noticed by a Cope girl, by the way. You've got to be a devil-eating machine. I'm telling you. Then there's like soft stuff. Like, look, you can be sensitive at all that. But man, fight the devil when it's time to fight the devil. Light yourself on fire if you have to. But what gets a son noticed by his father in heaven? What got these guys noticed by King David? To be these instrumental, powerful, I'm going to read you some of their stories, to be these powerful men of God, protecting Israel and protecting the women and the children from the nasty, demonic kingdoms that were out there, like raping and pillaging. And I mean, this is what they were fighting for. Now, it's harder in our soft society today to understand what we're fighting for, but you're fighting to keep... If you have children, keep your kids free of sin. To keep society's message about the confusion about everything, to keep that out and be like, no, this is, this is the way of the Lord. Walk in it. This is the only way that will lead you to success. Walk in it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. Singular. Walk in this. Follow me. Um, I have a, a friend of mine that we used to uh, shoot uh, guns as much as we could when we were kids, and we were probably great seven or six. Actually, I wasn't even there for this one. He was shooting a gun at his uh, acreage, a 22 rifle, so just a little guy. He was shooting a gun, and his mom heard him. His parents could hear him, like, shooting a gun, and uh, they heard this, like, pop, this, this, you know, bang of the gun, and then he comes around the corner, and he's, like, weeping and sobbing and out of control, and he's covered head to toe in red, like, head to toe in red, and his mom's like, oh my goodness, he's dead. He's dying. He's going to bleed out and die. He got shot. Stuff happened back then. <laughs> what had happened was, he had gone into his dad's shop and found a can of red paint. And that's what he shot. And it exploded in his face. It just boom. And it freaked him out, of course. And he was young and he didn't know that crying was not cool for guys. <laughs> you, know, you know how it is when you're young guys like... So he comes around the corner weeping and sobbing, and he's covered in red paint. And I'm, I was thinking to myself for the sermon, because the sermon title is called Red Paint, as in red paint gets noticed. So what gets a son or what gets a daughter of God noticed by their father in heaven? Because you can't be noticed for all the drama going on right now, because I don't think God in heaven appreciates drama and gossip and all the things that complicate life. When I would throw a hissy fit, because I wasn't getting what I wanted in the house, you know, I could stomp and, and cry and beat my, my fists on the floor if I wanted to. My dad would just walk around me and just go about his, his work. 
Not because he didn't care, but because he wouldn't be manipulated. His message was like, son, if you need attention, just ask for it. You're my son. I love you. If you need something, you can't get it like that. Ask for it. Just ask for it. Have the humility to ask. There's a scripture that says, if you need something, ask of God. Well, you're, but who already knows all of your needs? And then you're like, well, why does he just give it to me? Because it's good to ask. You need to ask. You're not God. Only, only God the king gets everything without having to ask for it. You're not that. It's good. It humbles your heart to have to ask your dad for something. It humbles your heart to ask, to ask somebody for something. that You need a hug? Go get a hug from God. You need counsel? You're afraid when you wake up in the morning? Ask for God's affection. I want my girls to marry sons of God. I mean, young men who love getting punched in the face. Who can get punched in the face by the devil and get up and get punched in the face again. I want there to be a fighting spirit about them because I know that the enemy is going to come after my daughters when I'm not, you know, the head of that house and I'm not able to protect them in that way. It's going to pass on. I want them to be like, I'm going to work with them and I'm going to be like, here's how you fight the devil. Here's how strategic we have to be. Here's how strong we have to be. Sometimes you've got to put your emotions in a box while you fight the devil. Sometimes you've got to do that. You don't get what you want? Yeah, no, I get it. So we've got to fight the devil until the devil's gone. Then we can go ahead and process with God and we can do all the things. Come on, man. There's something about us that God created us for the fight. And listen, if you won't fight the devil, the devil will turn you to fight your own because you were made to fight. If you're not fighting the devil, you'll have too much time to fight at home. We have to be like, hey, dad's busy fighting the devil. That's okay. Like, hey, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to get into this little skirmish about nothing, but I'm too busy fighting the devil out here. I'm too busy helping people in the church. I'm too busy bringing my tithe. I'm too busy working. I'm too busy trying to get people saved. Dad's busy. If you need something, ask me. 2 Samuel 23. Are you ready? I'm going to read about David's mighty man. Abishai the son of Zeruiah. When I was a boy, I read this and I'm like, oh yes, Jesus, this is what I want. <laughs> Fight the devil. He was the son of Zeruiah, who was David's sister, the brother of Joab. Joab, who was kind of over David's army, was the leader of the 30. So it's talking about these like 30 elite commandos. Uh, he once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. Y'all get tired fighting 300 zombies on a video game. Your thumbs get tired. You just can't. You just can't even. You don't understand, Mom. 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. It was by such feats that he became as famous as the three. So who are they talking about? They're talking about these 30 elite commandos, but then there was a th three others. He's like, he was kind of famous like them, but he still wasn't them. There was something that he never quite got to. Um... Then there, verse 20, there was Beniah, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. And he's like, David, you took out one champion of the Philistines, and these guys got two champions. He goes, let's do a twofer. Come on, we need some men who the devil attacks at work, who the devil attacks in their marriage, and who the devil attacks in their church relationships. And they're like, let's do a threefer this week, devil, if that's what we're doing. Because it doesn't... Can I, John, wake this up a little bit? They'll be expecting you, John. It won't matter. It won't. You got to feel, it won't matter. It won't matter. Send them. 
Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. This is a guy who's in Israel. He doesn't want a lion roaming around where his kids are. He doesn't have snow tires, everybody. He doesn't know how to run in snow. It doesn't matter. He sees a lion that goes down into a pit. He's like, here I come. Some of y'all can't make it to church on time if it snows. Some of y'all don't know that we sing four songs at church because he never get here till the third song. We only do church for an hour. I'd have to throw a lion in your house to get you out on time. You don't understand, Pastor. It's the only day I can sleep in. We do it at 11 o'clock. Well, you better help me preach this or I'm going to keep going at that. I can leave that alone if you just come on church on time. This is once armed only with the club. He killed an imposing Egyptian warrior. Is there something coming against you that's imposing? He killed an imposing uh, Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. He, he, he goes down with a club. And I know this is a feeling like you don't understand because everything is, is, is weighed against me. David's like, everything that Goliath has is better than everything I've got. I can't fight the devil out there. He's got better equipment than I have. He wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. I think that's a prophetic word for somebody. That the things that the devil used to hurt you, guys or girls, the things that the devil used to hurt you, you're going to wrestle that out of his hand by the grace of God, and you're going to use it to kill that thing. And then when it comes against your teenager or it comes against your friend in the church, you're going to be like, I've got a spear that used to cut me that I use now against it. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the 30, though he was not of the three. Can you imagine doing all these things and being like incredible and God is using you, but you're still not quite up to these three guys. I'm going to set these three guys over here in a box and we're going to talk about them. What would it take to be those three guys? Here are their names of the David's mightiest warriors. He's like, finally, we're going to get to like, da, 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 da. the first was Jashabim. He was the leader of the three. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. This is not sighting them in a scope or dropping a rocket on them. This is hand-to-hand, -hand, eyeball to eyeball, down in the dirt, fighting. Do you know how long it would take me to kill 800 mannequins? <laughs> At one minute a mannequin, that would take me 13 hours. And maybe, you know, you're getting it like these were not mannequins. There's something about this guy that physically you can't actually do that. Physically, a human body, no human body has ever been able to do that. But he had to start. He had to start swinging. He had to start, he had to get out there. And God came, uh, the power of God came upon him and gave him the power to go through all of those enemies. The things that you're facing today, you're not going to be facing a year from now because you're going to start. You're going to get back in the fight today. The devil, sons of God, is, is, you know what he's really worried about? He's really worried. He wants to push you and hurt you, but he's got to be careful because the more you get connected in church and the more you serve in church, he's got to watch how much he pushes you because if you find the 10 more gears that you have, he's done. 
So he's just going to annoy you and try to keep you out of that connection. But if you get connected in church and the body of Christ, you start serving. You start coming to church for not you anymore. You start coming to serve somebody else. You go to small group to help somebody else. You start coming in there. You get so connected that when the devil pushes you, you go, you start ramping through the gears. Then he can't stop you because the grace of God comes. Next in rank of the three was Eliezer. Once uh, Eliezer and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. What do you do when the rest of the army betrays you and it's just you and David left? They looked at each other and they're just like, Bro, I, I like this. I think this land belongs to God. I'm not giving it to these guys. Elias is like, I'm, I'm tired of running. He swung his sword until he was too tired to lift his sword. and He couldn't even lift the blessing afterwards because he was so tired. God gave him all this blessing. He needed help. Listen, from the people that betrayed them to carry the blessing home. This is when, listen, this is when your wife is cruel to you and you're like, well, you do you and I'm still going to fight the devil until I can't lift a sword. And if you don't do your job, that's on you. But I'm still going to fight the devil and I'm still going to do what's right by my people and I'm still going to be a good dad and I'm still going to go out and earn. I'm still going to feed and clothe my children. Come on. I'm still going to, and if there's only David and me, well, we're doing this anyways. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift a sword. Next in rank was Shammah. They gathered in a, the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground because his wife liked lentils. He's like, I'm just going to take lentils. My wife likes lentils, and the kids, they like lentils. And uh, the whole Phil Philistine troop shows up, or however it went down. And he's just like, guys, not now. Not your lentils. They belong to us, to our nation. You don't get this anymore. My wife likes these things, so we can do this the hard way or we can do this the hard way. But stop walking on my wife's lentils. We're gone. What got these guys noticed by a king? Because that gets noticed, but that's not where it started. I'm wondering, where did these guys start? Because it's easy to look at somebody's success and be like, yeah, but somebody handed that to them. Well, nobody handed these guys that. This is who they became. You want to know where they started? It says in 1 Samuel 22, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. I'll give you the background in a sec. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of 400 men. Two miles away from where Goliath went down, David starts coming up in Saul's army. He starts conquering Philistines. Saul gets jealous. Saul stops fighting the Philistines and starts fighting David because that's what you do if you won't let God deal with your insecurity. So he stops fighting the devil and he starts fighting a friend who God sent to kill the devil for him. And so David is on the run now from Saul. He actually runs to the Philistines and seeks shelter. Turns out they might want to kill him too. So he flees to a cave called Adullam. This is where it starts. The cave of Adullam. The cave of, oh God, what happened? I killed Goliath and I'm in, living in a cave. I'm on the run from the guy that I saved. I, I got all these disappointments. The word of God, the promises that God made me when I was a kid, none of them have come true. My, my marriage is on the rocks. My kids don't like me. My, it started in a cave called disappointment. 
in a cave called called defeat, in a cave called no future, in a cave called I don't know what happened, but we didn't get it right. And if I'm David, I'm like, God, send me some businessmen and some fighters. And God's like, I'm going to send you some help. Um, These guys are in trouble. So they're like hoodlums and Manchester United fans. And they're like, they're in debt. They can't pay. They don't want any money. And they owe people, and they're running from that. They owe child support. Come on. And uh, what's the third, third thing? Oh, they're just not happy. David's like, I would, like, I would rather have happy people. They're not happy. It's like when somebody comes to venue, and they're like mad at their old other church. <laughs> I'm always like, ooh. <laughs> always worries me a little bit because I'm like, we're going to be easier to hate than they were. I, uh, <laughs> just give it time. <laughs> No, we're trying to repurpose. Let's go. We got a battle to fight. We, we don't, you know what we don't do at venue? Drama. Because we're too busy fighting the devil. <laughs> Let's keep our focus on our mission here. Um, he sends these 400 guys to David. These 400 guys, out of them came the leaders that led a million plus people one day. Out of these guys that came to the, there was something there that they're like, we don't know if David's supposed to be king or not. It's not happening, but there's something about him. There's something about We think something could happen. Two miles from where Goliath was defeated, 12 miles from Bethlehem. It says in 2 Samuel, once during the harvest when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephaim. The three who were among the 30, an elite group of David's fighting men went down there to meet him. David was staying at the stronghold and a Philistine detachment occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, uh, how I would love some of that good water that I drank when I was a boy from the well in Bethlehem. He's just like, they don't make Dr. Pepper right here. We got to go to the States. It's just my home. I said, you know, there's this like, I just, I miss the water by the well, but the enemy owns it now. I miss drinking water out of that well, but the enemy is there and it's not the same when the enemy owns it. And I can't even get there now. The three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well, and brought it back to David. They didn't know that Mary and Joseph were going to drink out of that well. The battle you fight today, you don't know how important it is. You don't know how important it is. They didn't know that the well spring of life was going to be born there. And out of the blood that was spilled was going to create eternity in heaven for all of us. They didn't know that. All they knew was that they were close enough to David to see that he was thirsty. They went out and they attacked armies and they made a kingdom, but it started at the cave of disappointment when they were just eyeball to eyeball with somebody that they loved enough that he's like, I just wish that I could quench this thirst. And they're like, I can't live in a world where you're thirsty like that. Come on up, worship team. I want to reenact this. I was thinking, what gets the sons and daughters of God noticed by their Father in heaven? It's doing what the Father does. God sends Jesus God sends Jesus to hang on a cross and do something, not for himself, but for you. Can you imagine 
hearing these words 12 miles from the goal and there's Philistines in between you and that well. Can you imagine what it's like to run 12 miles with your boys, run 12 miles, break through the Philistine defenses, fill like a skin with water, and then like take the football back without getting tackled. Without, no, no, I shouldn't say that, without letting the football get cut. Well, protecting that football with your body and with everything you got. You know what got them noticed? Here's what I was thinking. You know what got them noticed? There's no way, that, there's a 0% chance that they got back. They were covered in red paint. Covered in paint. Philistine paint. This is hand-to-hand -hand fighting. Philistine paint. Their own red paint. There's no way they didn't come back bleeding. They would have come back with the red paint from the boys on them. Because when you're that close, man, it's going to happen. Some people, they go to church until somebody hurts their feelings. We're in a fight. We're in a battle. Come on, boys. Rub some dirt on it. Let's get back in. We're going to have some scars from each other. We're still going to fight the devil and take him out. That's how I was thinking. You want to get noticed by God? You want your own salvation? You've got to take salvation to somebody else to get it. I want our prayer team coming out of that prayer room to pray for you after this service covered in red paint. I don't want prayer to be free. I want them to come out covered because they've been praying for your souls and they're like, I feel like somebody here has got divorced in the last month and they need, they just need the blood of Jesus. And I want them come, I want them bleeding for you. I want them come covered out in red paint. I want people standing on the worship team on the stage to be covered in red paint where we lift our hands so high we're holding up paint but we can't hold it anymore. We just let it go. And we're like, hey, we bled for you. I want, I want people in venue youth to be like, we bled for your kids this week. We prayed for your kids. We counseled your kids. I want people in venue kids to bleed for those kids so that no kid would leave thirsty for Jesus, but that they would get their thirst quenched here. And that's something you only get covered in red paint. Not when you just come to church on Sunday mornings, but when you get involved in the lifeblood of the church. Come on. When you get in small groups, you start bleeding for people. I want small group leaders covered in red paint. I want them covered in the cares of their people. I want them caring so much that they stay up at night and pray for you. I want you coming so that you care enough about somebody else and you start praying for their problems and not praying about your problems. And in that, God starts healing you and God starts fixing you and God raises up a mighty army that can one day take on what we need to take on.